1: Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here from the Santa Monica Studios, joined now by Pam Shriver, the Tennis Hall of Famer. This is great to have you back on the show, not in a vehicle, not calling me on the way to Charleston again. but
0: That's right, that was the last time. I can't believe how quickly. Um, that was April, and so much has happened in the sport of tennis when you think about it. It would be like six podcasts to get everything in. Oh,
1: way way more than that. But there, there's there's a lot that's been going on in the world of uh, tennis. I know US Open was like a transcendent time in a lot of ways. And taking a step back from that, does it still feel like it was this seminal moment in not just the, the sporting world, but tennis lore and tennis history?
0: Yes. Um, the first, well, I was able to get there during qualifying fan week. Uh, which was really important to sort of understand what Serena was going through to try and get herself ready for her last Mm -hmm. major Um, and obviously that story those five days of Serena playing her last five days of tennis was tremendous Um, not just for tennis but it crossed over into every other um, news bulletin virtually Um, whether it was the arts um, whether it it was international it was Everywhere it was Serena. It was Serena's moment, as it should have been. But then, what was fascinating about the tournament is the quality of the tennis from start to finish. And then when S- Serena lost on the Friday night, um, everybody else really stepped up to the plate. And I just thought the tournament shined from first ball to last ball. The um, Alcaraz, Tiafoe, um, obviously Sviantek getting her act together and winning a hard court major for the first time. Anjouboor two straight majors. There are just so many tremendous storylines i for me it was one of my favorite if not the favorite major in my 44 years
1: well and that really sets up for you know the future and a future that's unfortunately not going to include a lot of the, the legends out there um we knew serena retired we've talked about that in a few couple weeks but roger makes his announcement no more roger federer uh, in tennis and a lot can be said about him and a lot will be said about him a, a 20-year career that that spawned so much, but the announcement itself, and we heard from Roger today at his Labor Cup press conference where he talked about what his body was going through and how hard the process was for him behind the scenes. Did anything surprise you about the timing of the announcement, how he did it, and just ultimately him coming to this decision to give up the game?
0: No, I'd heard some things at the U.S. Open um, that didn't sound positive as far as a successful comeback in order to play at the level that would be acceptable. Mm-hmm. And the, the knee was just... I'd, I'd heard that. So then it becomes... A, a, when do you make the announcement? And it seems like Roger made the right decision to let the U.S. Open play out, right? Mm-hmm. You don't make a huge announcement in the middle of a yeah. major being played. And it was really Serena's time to take uh, take her bow as the greatest female player of all time. And so I think its timing was really good. I think also for him to play his last match at an event that he helped start, mm-hmm. surrounded by his main rivals. Um, yeah. You know, and a lot of love in that event, um, a lot of great spirit. So I, I think it really is the right send-off. Um, and I thought the way he did it with the stationery, the two-page <laughs> note, mm-hmm. or maybe it was four-page, I don't know. But just I was struck by the stationery and then also just his voice and him reading the letter. I yeah. thought it was a really special way. I like the way Serena did it too and Serena's way with the Vogue announcement, but I thought Roger's way of doing it too was just like Roger.
1: Yeah, it was very elegant, which shouldn't surprise many people there. And you hear kind of the the mindset of post-Wimbledon last year, that last match against Huracaj, how it didn't go well and the knee just wasn't progressing and he, he was faced with that reality that sadly most athletes don't get to go out in their own terms. He would have loved to play Basel, his Home event but that just wasn't an option um, you know I, I think back to something on this podcast and she's been great working for us but when CeCe Bellis told me that you know it's a matter of playing to where I need to be at the highest level like you can still hit you can still play respectable tennis but playing as a professional and you, and you know this as well as anyone it just takes so much and it demands so much out of your body that in a way it's like remarkable that he lasted all those years without major injury
0: Well, and I think some of the things that now we're starting to learn is um, how his last year or two of trying to play at his best was a real challenge because of the knee, and he kind of kept that fairly private. I mean, it was was, uh, assumed that that was his Achilles heel, but he didn't really um, dwell on it much. But, you know, I think also... (laughs) In case there were any doubts, for, for Roger to watch some of the matches at this year's U.S. Open, let's just say he was awake and watched the center Alcaraz
1: match. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, that might just tell you once and for all, on a hard court, three yeah. out of five at 41 years of age, it's just not a possibility.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of current guys that are probably watching that match and we're like, I don't know if I have <laughs> I <know>. that level. <laughs>
0: that, was, that was incredible. It was. That match, and I know we're talking about Roger, but... We're also, as we, you know, send Roger off uh, into the next phase of his life, into retirement, and obviously we've lost two Giants of the game in a month. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I always felt that it was quite possible. It was going to happen really quite quickly for a couple of them at around the same time. Yeah. Um, but it still is a little bit jarring to realize, wow, Serena and Roger are going out within one month of each other
1: there's a lot of people that that's all they really know about tennis. I mean, I could kind of put myself in there where it's just, they've been involved so long and yeah, I I think part of his legacy and we can kind of get into the bigger picture stuff, but it's inspiring like Serena, like a tiger woods, like these iconic athletes is inspiring that next generation to kind of do it and do it in a creative way. I mean, is the way he played, I think is what we keep coming back to. Mm There is a real beauty in this, the sport of tennis But there was something about how he played, like the gracefulness out there in such a graceful sport that I think, I I think that's what's going to be standing the test of time is just how he played the game.
0: Yes. Yes. And how he conducted himself on and off the court and all the different languages and all the patience he had Mm -hmm. for the media. I mean, he's just a true professional in every way. Um, It's funny, I bought uh, Christopher Cleary's book, The Master, a while ago and it just took me a while to get to it. But the day that Roger announced mm-hmm. retirement, I'm like, okay, this is a good day to pick up the book. So yeah. I started to read the book. And last night I was, I'm still in the early phases. I kind of, I, I don't read a lot in anyone sitting, but um, just going through and realizing the impact that some of his early coaches had, especially Peter Carter from Australia yeah. and how Peter settled from Adelaide uh, to Basel. It was like, just ha- it just happened to be, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that have to work right for a career like this to happen. It was interesting listening to, reading how Darren Cahill recollected such a close friend and a peer of Peter Carter, and of course Darren, probably the greatest coach of all time the way his career's going, but just how Peter played a lot like Roger, just not as good, not as fast, but that Roger was able to pick up the technique and his elegance and some of his, um, I think, gracefulness from Peter Carter.
1: Yeah, and it is a great lesson, especially for some of the younger fans that might not know the origin story or weren't around. That it wasn't like he was always this way; like he evolved. He had erraticness. He was had a temper. He'll be the first to admit it, but that he fine tuned it and reached his full potential. Uh, it's an it's an inspiring story, and and there's a lot to, that goes into Roger, but the consistency is just startling. Like you could run through the numbers, and I know he's just so much more than stats, but that run of like 18 out of 19 major finals and just 237 straight weeks at number one, there's something about staying at the top that I really think distinguishes the, the all-time greats from whatever that next tier is, the greatest of all time.
0: Well, and, and both Serena and Roger, the oldest number ones in their respective mm-hmm. ATP and WTA, in their mid to late 30s, was, were able to get back to number one. And you know, it's going to be interesting to see I mean, Novak has a chance to maybe break that if he can um, you know play the kind of tennis that Novak played right. before COVID. But you know, I wanna go back to something else I think is really important. I wanna stress that I loved about Federer's pathway was that he was a dual sport. He he played a lot of different sports, especially soccer. Yeah. And it was at the age of twelve yeah. that he decided to go single focus. And I think that's really a great message for parents. I mean, even even you could probably do it a little bit later and still be exceptionally yeah. good at a sport, and that it really helps prevent burnout. Um, so I, I really related to and appreciated that part of his story.
1: Uh, ben Shelton, currently, we've talked about it, was uh, quite the American football star. And, uh, you know, it, it's starting to see there as well. Uh, th- there's there's a lot there. And one of the things you said about, you know, how he keeps a lot of stuff private and he doesn't kind of want to you know, take away from other people's moments, the not retiring in any matches is just – it's a mind-blowing stat. I know there's luck involved, but he I think part of that is not wanting to take away when, a, like, Hurikos' last match, a 6-0 set, not feeling well. The fact that he never retired in the middle of a match is just impressive to me.
0: Right. Well, that match, playing on center court, quarterfinal of Wimbledon, um, yeah, I'm sure he w- <laughs> He, I, I'm often, I wonder whether or not he thought in the back of his head, this is my last match. This mm. is my last match at Wimbledon. I'm not, all the more reason not to have it end in a yeah. retirement. But yes, that's another great stat of his.
1: More with Pam Schreiber here on Tennis Channel Inside, And uh, I wonder if, like, we talk about all the stats with Federer and, you know, what he's done on the court. But I don't know that there will be an athlete in tennis that I'll see in a long time that has his popularity, his adoration, universally. Like, there's home countries and, and the support that players get. But he was, you know, appreciated and loved everywhere he went. And I don't know that we'll get that for a very long time.
0: You know it's interesting because you think about the role that Switzerland might have played in that. Mm. Switzerland's always <laughs> been the neutral country, yeah, right? Yeah. And everybody, I think that that helped him get off to a good start, a neutral start, mm-hmm. and then obviously his personality, his game, the rest of how he conducted himself. But um, I don't, I don't yeah. know if we would have seen that same <laughs> uh, if it had been a, um, if he'd come from a different country.
1: That, that's certainly a possibility. I think the humility you mentioned played a big part in it. And, handling losses is something that's tough at any level, especially at the elite level. He's got, you know, he's got all the accolades, but it's unfortunate, however you want to put it, that some of the matches we remember most are the ones he lost. And, I mean, I could just say if I was in those shoes, I don't know that I would have been able to handle it as gracefully, having to stand up there in the runner-up circle so many times with his rivals, matches he could have won, and yet he handled it about as gracefully as you could.
0: Well, and maybe... Um when Roger was handling those moments, and obviously the one that I think everyone thinks about the most was um, the loss in the finals to Djokovic in 2019 when he had the two match points, 12-all, match tie break. Um, but when you think about how, say, Roger would have looked at Andy Roddick, um, having seen Andy have to handle the toughest of losses for Andy on that same court in the finals, I think... Um, I think that's a sign of a great champion is to, to win with grace, lose mm-hmm. with grace. And, of course, you walk on to center court with Kipling's quote right mm-hmm. above where you yeah. walk out there to kind of remind you to try and do that.
1: I don't know if you saw the quote Tony Nadal said where it was just about how great Roger's been, you know, even playing against and with the same thing, grace against his his nephew. And he talks about a match at the ATP Finals a decade ago where he just destroyed him like six three six love. And he just said, Roger just looked down, didn't really celebrate at all until he got to the net. And it's those type of moments where you said, yeah, I think how he's won helped how he's lost. Mm-hmm. And that's kept him, as you've said, balanced. Um, I loved hearing, though, what he, you know, saying that he wants to stay in the game.
0: And that is something that I feel like our sport needs to get the best brains together, <laughs> obviously, including uh, Tony Godzik, his longtime agent, business partner, manager, Roger, Mirka. Like There needs to be, like, this little quiet advisory group uh, called tennis, Roger, Roger (laughs) Roger tennis Tennis, incorporated, like how to best utilize his skill sets, his love of the game, the way he communicates. And I think the same for Serena, although uh, they're such different personalities, but for the sport of tennis, this is where not being unified really hurts the sport because there should be a plan in place, how to deploy the greatest of all time to help the sport.
1: Right. There's no – like, you don't have to, obviously. You've earned the right to just go in seclusion if you just don't want the spotlight. But if you do want to, yes, there should be some sort of plan like this to kind of keep it going. And I'm glad you brought up the family in the circle because what they've meant to him and how they've helped him, there's no, there's no like, guarantee that if you have that good family circle that it's going to just guarantee everything's going to go right. But that definitely makes that path easier. And I think his family, what Miracle the Kids – you mentioned Tony Godsick that circle kind of being so solid for so long I think propelled him to just keep it going and enabled him to really keep it going into his 40s.
0: Yeah well and you even think about uh, Lubitsch and his uh, relationship starting as competitors. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually listening last night Lubitsch was on a podcast another tennis podcast that I listened to and you know here in his own words for the first time he's speaking publicly about you know six years coaching Roger and the tough losses and the great wins and the you know the 2017 five set win in the finals of the Australian Open over uh, Nadal with probably his greatest backhand ever, the one <laughs> down the line that turned that fifth set around. Yeah, it's really, it's going to be interesting. I hope Mirka opens up and talks a little bit about her journey. Yeah. And, uh, because, you know, how they met on the court, and I even saw a clip recently. I think they p- maybe played an early
1: uh, Hopman cup, cup together. Yeah, uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. It's
0: just. <laughs> There's so many great clips that are coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's like a years. good
1: early love story. They're just post-match interview flirting on the court and then <laughs> setting the stage for their career. It's great, and if he's calling matches at Wimbledon, that would be lovely too. I, I just the most impressive thing to me, as much as I want to see him call matches at Wimbledon, is he wants to put on for the Swiss athletes. They're a very, you know, they're not the biggest country, but he wants to develop the next champions there, and I think that's so cool that you know you saw in the Olympics a couple of years ago he was shouting out every, like every skier, every lower name athlete. I think it's, it's really a good lesson in paying it forward that he's at this mountaintop, but he wants to bring up, you know, the rest of his country into sporting excellence.
0: Right. Well, you know what, of course, I always think, well, um, why can't the U.S. try and get a little bit of his, uh, <laughs> his uh, brain power and his knowledge and experience too. So I don't know. Well, it's going to be interesting to see where, where he goes. Obviously you take a pause and you reflect and then you figure out mm-hmm. the plan.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have one more match coming up, a doubles match on Friday, and that's it. Um, not guaranteed, but pretty much guaranteed Rafa. Like, I would be, I would put it at fully shocked if he's not playing doubles with Rafa on Friday.
0: Right, right. I think, I think so. That's what pretty much everybody's expecting. Um, it would be such a poetic way. I mean, it would just be the perfect way to, to end. Just like if if... Serena did decide to play one more match. It should be doubles with Venus. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, look forward to it. I think, I think he's also going to play a little bit of exhibition tennis if his mm-hmm. knee is okay and go yeah. back to some markets that, or some countries that have meant the world to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so, but it'll be true exhibition tennis. It's not going to be the real stuff. Right
1: and uh, just really appreciate what he's done for the game. Um, the last thing on Federer, uh, and I want to ask you because you've covered his career from start to now finish. Did you have any, like, I guess, personal story, personal interaction or just moments with Roger where you kind of, I guess the cameras weren't around or people didn't get to see?
0: Um, not, you know, not really. I, I, I think, well, actually, a, a couple times in Cincinnati, um, I would always bring my, my oldest kid starting when he was five years of age I was able to work in Cincinnati for about 10 years and always brought my, my oldest son. And I just have, I actually have a couple of pictures with Roger with my kids. And I think everybody in tennis probably has, who has kids um, has a couple of those shots. He was always pretty generous. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're not supposed to take pictures in the player lounge or ask for autographs or any of that stuff. But every once in a while you have a yeah. former player or a player's kid, you can't help it.
1: Well, there's something poetic about his career ending in London, so I think we can leave it with that, like eight eight Wimbledon titles, the, uh, the start there, winning the boys' title in, in 1998, and ending in London, I guess, is a perfect place to do it.
0: Well, And also, you think about the last 12 days, um, last couple of weeks, really, uh, for that country, and uh, they've been through the ringer with... Uh, With the Queen uh, and the funeral, and now, I mean, he's beloved, as you said, in all countries, but I do think it's special because of Wimbledon, how much he's beloved in England and the UK.
1: Well, I I don't know that this momentum and and whatever, karma, whatever you want to say, bodes well for uh, Team World, finally stopping the streak, but we'll see.
0: (laughs) Team World's got some talent. I mean, Francis uh, chose not to play Davis Cup because he was just wiped out after getting to the semis of uh, U.S. Open. I thought... So I'm sort of anxious. I think the thing I want to see most is somebody at Team World um, who's willing to like step up and lead (laughs) because they do need a lead player in order to make that team a little more solid.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A couple more things with Pam Schreiber here on Tennis Channel Inside In. uh, The Labor Cup this weekend as well. There's still so many tournaments around the globe. We talked about this last year. Like This is the sweet spot for the real tennis junkies with action in all these continents and before we get too far into the weeds I do want to you know offer up condolences thoughts to uh, Daria Seville mm. to ACL yesterday so I, I think it's the same one from nine years ago but just brutal what she did to get back to this point after all the injuries just uh, brutal and uh, yeah just thoughts to her
0: yeah um I thought a lot of the player tweets her peers whether it was Petkovic who went through so many injuries and including knee problems just a lot of outreach i thought naomi osaka's video tribute because of course she was playing osaka when it happened um but you know what dash has so much to look forward to with life with luke and (laughs) you know i'm sure this might be a good time to start a family and think about what how ash is sort of what what she's done in uh to lead the way in australian women's tennis to realize well you don't have to play all the time and you can come back and it's up to her, but I think the fact that she had such a great comeback, such a great last few months, will um, in the end it'll make it clear whether or not she ha- she could, I, wants to rehab again and go at it again.
1: Did you watch any of the uh, Zhang shui Garcia match oh, last yes. night? <laughs> I, I
0: I was just telling uh, Nico Pereira, who I'm He's about out to out work of with, it was crazy good. <laughs> yeah. I don't usually get home from working as uh, last night. I, I my, the last match we called was the match, against nakashima match which mm-hmm. was really fascinating yeah close straight set match oh, yeah. and then i go home and it's bedtime i I'd, I'd played a golf match in the morning i was tired but this match <laughs> was so compelling yeah a- and the amount of winners versus unforced errors and the way they were playing i thought it was one of the matches that, of the
1: year that you know garcia obviously like has the run and loss and if you just look at the loss on paper you're like oh it was a letdown I think she served as good as any like loser that I've seen in a match it was, like twenty seven aces, the two double faults. It was crazy. And Zhang Shui, who I think that's two top fifty wins in a row, stacking it together. Uh she gets her, her countrymate next in uh Quin Wen Zhang, who I think has top oh, five potential. I mean does. I said top ten, but I'm raising the bar.
0: And the power there. Yeah. Um there's look, there's a lot of talent. Uh this is the Lee Na effect. Mm-hmm. Um it's been now a little over ten years since she won her first Major, um, obviously China's been, had a tough time in all sorts of ways geopolitically with the virus, but I feel like now the players are free to play and travel, yeah. and we're seeing the talent come out.
1: What do you think about Naomi Osaka's decision to just kind of keep playing here? Like, she shut it down last year at the U.S. Open. I think it's a good sign she's she's not at her top form. I think she would admit that, but to keep playing post-U.S. Open, I think, is a good thing.
0: It had to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, listen, it was a tough draw to play Collins first-round at the U.S. Open, Collins, who'd been injured, came out and played actually at the U.S. Open. She played great. So that was a difficult first round. And Naomi didn't play badly. And I was, I was texting her, um, Stuart, her business partner. I'm like, you got to play more. And it's like, okay, but she has to want to play more. Yeah. So obviously her ties to Japan, it was probably a must contractually that she mm-hmm. had to go back. But I'd like to see her play a couple more tournaments before the end of the year.
1: That was, like, the perfect storm of Collins playing well. Um, A couple big points that I think with repetition and with with practice on the court, with actual matches on the court, you get better. I think there were some tactical things there, and I think that's where getting on the court and kind of understanding how to game plan against certain players would help. But, no, I, I don't think she's, like, super far off, but the top is, and the depth of the game is getting bigger and greater. So I think she... She has to keep playing, or, or the game will pass her by if she just plays selectively.
0: Right. And I think Naomi might learn a little bit, but reflecting back on some of Serena's long journey. And like when I think back to how Serena was able to win the 07 Australian Open outside the top unseated, 70. Yeah, yeah unseated, yeah. out of shape, hadn't played any matches, and then worked her way into form. And really, the best way to do that is just to play matches. Yeah. And then you, you get sparks of motivation by seeing glimpses of your best self, and then that makes you want to go out and work harder.
1: Do you think, and I know it's somebody that's got a longer road back, but we saw Kennan play lose again in the the early rounds. I mean, trying, like trying to commit to all these events, but it's tough to rebuild, especially with the injuries she's had.
0: Look, she was the one most affected by the COVID shutdown. She had just won the Australian Open. She had had a great, um, you know, six months leading up to, and then just taken away from her Mm -hmm. and then when it all started back it was like she tried to defend her title got appendicitis it was just it's been uneasy and then obviously up and down relationship with her dad and her coach Yeah. um so she needs to find some stability and there's so many one-time major winners i mean osaka's won four of them so that's a different matter but there's a lot of them have won just one that we wonder about like Mm -hmm. whether khanu what sloan steven's gonna do later in her career yeah um uh is muguruza gonna get it back i know she's won a couple of majors Mm -hmm. but women's tennis right now there's a lot
1: of questions and you outlined emma like it's perfect she was so far ahead of schedule that's gonna take her a couple years before we really know one way or the other
0: yeah that was just (laughs) that was crazy still
1: marvel it's like it's like did that even happen
0: how do you win 20 straight (laughs) sets coming out of
1: qualifying
0: uh when you're ranked where she was ranked so
1: Well, we can end with this. Uh, love to see pro tennis in Southern California. San Diego has the men's event at 250, which you started calling them the women are getting <laughs> 16 of the top 20 in a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, obviously, the history of tennis in Southern California is so rich, developing some of the greatest players in the history of our sport. Um, we were t- Nico and I were talking last night on air, like, why, why is it? Well, part of it's the climate, mm-hmm. obviously. Part of it is the number of courts, the park systems, um, how many great clubs there are in Southern California. So put it all together. Um, but it is fun to see pro tennis. I like Barnes Tennis Center. means a lot. My It's where my, my grandparents settled after World War II uh, in San Diego, and they helped support my grandmother, especially the early buildings of the Barnes Tennis Center. So I've enjoyed going there through the years
1: i think we've seen a lot of people that have given back to the pros that have made it here have given back in the community helped and now obviously within the case of tracy austin her son playing and getting to the tour level so uh it's really good to see uh and then the you know the women's tournament i just want to mention coming forward it's it's nice i mean Ega's committed to play the bona fide number one three majors under her belts and we'll see you know how she assumes the top role after her first hard court major
0: well, I would think she'd be even more confident. You would think. I mean, that was the big question. She mm-hmm. could she uh, could she win on a surface other than a major, other than Roland Garros, and she looks like the real deal. You see, when you, when we put the points race up on the graphic when we're on the air, and you see how much she's ahead, mm-hmm. um, it kind of does make you reflect a little bit about what if, what if Ash had decided not mm-hmm. to retire. I know it's like a those dream two match. at number one and number two would have been crazy. But you know what? Who know who. Who knows what the response from Spiontech would have been had Ash stayed in the game. You never know whether it would be the same.
1: I know. I I, I don't want to harp on that, but we we really missed out on an all-time potential rivalry. Uh, But no, there's a lot of good tennis there, Pam. This was fun. Are we going to see you in the... In Fort Worth for the WTA Finals.
0: I think I'm working it from here. Um, here yeah, okay. which is it's great. It's kind of
1: cool. Texas, the Dickies Center is getting the event, and it's like a new location. And we bounced around the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I think um, Guadalajara did a great job last year um, with the same amount of notice as uh, Fort Worth this year. And um, listen, Dallas, Fort Worth has a rich tennis mm. history. From WCT, one of the most popular stops on the tour when I started in the late mm. 70s was Dallas at. SMU University so uh, it's a it's a tennis loving region I
1: know tennis is a worldwide game but I just love all these now newer events in the states like it's just great to have pro tennis in America and you know as you know calling all these matches at reasonable hours as well yes
0: so, exactly uh, Pam
1: Schreiber, thanks so much always welcome on this show fun chatting tennis with you
0: Mitch, thanks for having me
1: That was Pam Shriver on Tennis Channel Inside In. We will be back next week to recap the Laver Cup, talk about more tennis storylines. Check tennis.com podcast, tennis.com slash podcast for this show and every show in our catalog. For Pam Shriver, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.